everyone and welcome to our King's Church online service. We are so pleased that you can join us today for Pastor Dave Edwards' message, Faith for a Great Future. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to our online service where we are going to study God's Word and we're going to be strengthened in our faith today as we look at His promises and as we give room to God's Word in our hearts. I know that our faith is going to be strengthened to go forward into this season in which which we're in. And um, over the next few weeks, I'm so excited because Faye and I are going to be ministering to you a series of messages called Faith for a Great Future. And I know sometimes, you know, because of the circumstances that we face, because of the seasons that we go through, sometimes it's hard to Think about a great future, but do you know God has a great future for each and every one of us and sometimes when circumstances and life is changing and events are crowding in on us, it's very hard for us to see beyond the temporary problems that we're in and the, the, the situations that we're facing, but as we focus our faith on God's word, as we focus our faith on God's promises, I really do believe that we can come through every trial, through every situation that we face, on into that wonderful future that God has for us. And God's word is full of wonderful promises that give us hope, that give us expectation for a great future and we're going to be looking at this over the next while over the next weeks together and I truly do hope that it will encourage you and strengthen your faith do you know one of the things that God declares about his word is that it will not return void to him without accomplishing that for which he has sent it. You know, God has sent his word into our lives to accomplish great things, to perform wonderful, wonderful plans. God has a purpose. God has a plan for our lives. And his word will never return to him without accomplishing everything that he has set out to accomplish in our lives. No circumstance, no crisis, no seasonal change will be able to stop or interrupt or impede the promises of God for our lives. And that is what we have got to anchor our faith in is God's promise, is God's purpose for our lives. So I believe as we begin to explore the word of God, as we begin to really have a high expectation of faith for a great future, a great future that God has planned for us, I really do believe that it's going to encourage us and strengthen us And hasten our steps forward into the future as his promises become our expectation. So uh, as we begin this series, we're going to dive straight into uh, the book of James. And we're going to see how James encourages our faith. How James 
talks about faith and, and encourages our faith when life doesn't seem to work. When life seems to be contrary to the promises that we, we are believing, James comes out strong and he teaches us and encourages us how to have strong faith when we're in circumstances that seem to be so contrary to the promises of God that we are believing. James shows us this clearly in his letter that we can have a strong faith to go forward into our future amidst all of the seasonal changes, amidst all of the varying circumstances of life, we can continue on. God's promise for our lives never goes on hold. God never hits the pause button for your life when it comes to performing his promises. He just wants us to trust him. He just wants us to depend on him. He just wants us to put our faith in him, in what he's declared, and we'll come on through every trial, we'll come on through every circumstance. And James clearly, clearly declares this in his letter. So I'm excited, as probably you can see, about this series that we are going to uh, minister to you on having faith for a great future. I'm excited as we begin to explore James, the letter of James, and as we begin to look at other portions of Scripture as well, how men and women prove God in amidst uncertainties as they, as they exercise their faith in his promise, God performed his will in their lives and gave them an amazing future. Now, just as we begin today, just to give you some background into uh, James and into the letter in which he wrote, scholars widely believe that James, who wrote this letter, was in fact the brother of Jesus. He grew up, just imagine this, he grew up in the same home, in the same family as Jesus did. His father was Mary and Joseph. And from the early beginnings, it's believed that James actually didn't really believe that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. In fact, he was quite skeptical about Jesus and he was very distant. In fact, when Jesus entered his ministry for three years and he drew those 12 disciples close, James was very distant. James wasn't a disciple and he was on the fringe. He was very skeptical of Jesus's ministry. Only after the resurrection did James come to faith. Did James actually believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Lord, the Son of the living God? And Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7 actually refers to this conversion experience that James encountered with the resurrected Christ, his Lord, he actually says that, that Jesus appeared to James, who was part of that household as Jesus grew up. And it was in that moment of appearance 
where James came to faith and James finally left his skepticism, left his unbelief and submitted to his Lord and Saviour, Jesus. What a wonderful experience, what a wonderful encounter that must have been to this man who wrote this incredible letter that we are going to explore together. Now, just continuing on to give you some information and background about James as we begin this series. You know, James went on to be one of the leading pastors, the leading minister at the church in Jerusalem. And he, along with the other apostles, had seen the explosive growth of the New Testament church after the power of the Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in that upper room where 120 of them gathered together. They were baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost. They burst out onto the street. Peter preached on that day. And as you read Acts chapter 2, you see that over 3,000 people received Christ. And then they began to fellowship from house to house, breaking bread with one another, just conscious of the resurrected presence of Jesus in their midst. And the early church started started to emerge with power. The early church began to grow rapidly and explosively all over the city of Jerusalem. And in that time, James became a prominent leader within that church. James actually became, it's believed by leading scholars, that James actually became the senior leader, the senior pastor in that wonderful work that was happening in Jerusalem. But by AD 44, everything was about to change. So about 10 years after, 10 years or so after Jesus had risen from the dead and 10 years into the church at Jerusalem being established, there were going to be some sudden changes, some sudden seasonal changes that were going to occur. Now, up until AD 44, the church had grown, the church was thriving, the church was healthy spiritually. The church had spread out all over the city and it's believed that there were approximately about 150,000 believing Jews serving Jesus with all of their lives. Things were good. In fact, in the Acts of the Apostles, it says that they grew in favor with God and man. So everything was going well. Everything was thriving. Everything was healthy in the church up until about AD 44. So about 10 years had, had uh, passed and everything was strong and healthy. But then suddenly persecution took hold of the church. And persecution set in and severe trials began to surround this wonderful church, this, this wonderful body of people that Jesus had built. This wonderful church that, that was thriving, that was healthy, was being attacked from every side. The church that was birthed in Acts chapter 2 that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that knew favor 
with God and man suddenly was being broken apart. Can you believe that? It's almost hard to imagine that this church that was so strong across the city that was doing so well, that was ministering to so many people, was suddenly attacked and was being broken apart. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 8. There was a sudden seasonal change. There was a sudden shift in the climate, in the environment. Suddenly, their favor with man stopped. Their favor in man was cut to pieces. They still had favor with God without a doubt, but suddenly the favor of man turned against them and they became persecuted and they became attacked. Acts chapter 8 actually tells us that the people were scattered because of this persecution. Stephen was martyred he was openly stoned in public and that ricocheted through the church and through the city that now the season had changed and the church began to scatter. The church began to disperse. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, you'll see it, that only the apostles remained in Jerusalem and Saul who would later become the Apostle Paul. Saul, the young man Saul, was ousting men and women from their homes, believers that loved Jesus. He was on the hunt for them and he was going into their homes and he was taking them and he was throwing them into prison. The persecution that these early Christians went through was very, very severe as Paul or Saul went from house to house and arrested men and women. There was huge disruption. There was huge change. And do you know when, when change comes very often, it evokes fear in our hearts. What's going to happen? What, what, what are these changes going to mean? How are they going to impact my life? The church that we've been a part of, is it going to end? All of these questions must have been arising in the hearts of God's people as these changes were coming thick and fast suddenly upon them. Suddenly believers couldn't meet in their in their homes, suddenly believers couldn't meet in large gatherings anymore. They had become isolated. They had become alone. They were on the run for their lives. And many of them must have thought, is this the end of our faith? Is this the end of our hope, the great future that we had believed for the great future that we all thought we were a part of, suddenly now is spiraling down out of control. And it seems as if our destiny, our future is being held in the hands of man and not in the hands of God. And all of these questions must have been, must have been arising in the hearts of God's people as they often do in our hearts too. The church had encountered a severe change. The early church had encountered a severe change that nobody foresaw, that nobody knew was about to hit, but hit it did. And, and there were really severe changes that were taking place as, as they went forward. Now, 
I say all of that to say this. Against this backdrop of pain, against this confusion, against this isolation, against this scattering of God's people, against this great dispersion, listen to how James writes the first letter of the New Testament, because this is what scholars tell us. This is the first letter. The letter of James is the first letter that's written to believers in the New Testament. And it's a vital message, a vital letter into the dark times in which they were living. Listen to how James writes his letter and how he opens it up to his fellow brethren that had been dispersed and scattered and sent on the run from Jerusalem. James chapter 1 verse eight, one to verse 8 says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various, diverse, or manifold trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Just imagine how James encourages believers that were so fearful. Believers that were caught in a corner. Believers that were confused. Believers that were wondering about their future. Believers that were part of such a wonderful, healthy, vibrant church who had been scattered abroad from their homes, scattered abroad, and possibly to never return to the places from which they had come. James encourages them with a strong message. This apostle, along with tens of thousands of believing Jews, had experienced severe life changes. But there's no fear in the voice of James. He greets his brethren. There's no retreat in his heart. There's no regret about what's happened. There's no... There's no uh, licking his wounds. This man isn't trying to remember all the good old days. No, this man is going forward into the future with no regrets about what's been lost or complaining about the changes that have been made to their meeting uh, and, to, and to, their, to their gatherings. This truly was a man of faith. James was a man of faith who knew 
that the church is never defined or limited by buildings. I thank God for this building. I thank God for the properties that, that we have as a church, as, 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 as a church family, as King's Church. Thank God for them. You know, we can meet together in warmth. We can meet together you know, when, when, the, when the weather's not so good and we can come together collectively in the buildings that God has blessed us with. But let us never forget that the church of Jesus Christ is not defined by the four walls of this building. The church of Jesus Christ is being built by Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whether we meet in this building on 69 Lower Dock Street or whether we don't, I'll tell you something now. The church of God will come out stronger and healthier from this crisis than, than we went into it. It will be more refined, it will be more developed, and it will be more healthy. Why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus doesn't stop building his church when a crisis sets in and when we've got to change our meeting places. I tell you something now, Jesus is victorious and no life event, no circumstance or no seasonal change can impede his building program. And we are his building, I tell you. Thank God for the, for the, for the building that we've got, but I tell you now, the church of Jesus Christ is not defined by the four physical walls and roof of this building. No, the church of Jesus Christ goes forward in every generation, whether we meet in a building or whether we don't meet in a building. I tell you, with the body of Christ connected spiritually, and uh, oh my God, it's wonderful just to realize that and to know that. That he is building his church. Now, I can't wait till we all get back in the building together. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, church. We are not defined by, by, uh, by the four walls of this building. We are his body and he is building his church. Amen? That's just a little side note just for us to remember. But James is victorious in his message. James is not retreating. James, James's letter is not full of remorse and full of complaint and, and full of regrets. No, James is, is buoyant in his faith and he's encouraging those who have been scattered to be buoyant in their faith too. It's amazing to read it. It's amazing to, to see his perspective. You see, James is drawing his conclusions not from the varying circumstances of life, not from the shifting sands of time. No, James is getting his perspective from the word of God, from the promises of God. Life changes for all of us all the time. But you know what? The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is settled in heaven and come what may, it does not change. If God says it, it will be done. And no circumstance, no plague, no crisis will be able to interrupt it or change it. What God has declared will come on through. And I think we should always give him praise in our hearts for that. He exhorts us. He encourages us. He says, 
beloved friends, companions. Now, remember, this is his congregation that he's talking to that's been scattered. These are the people, the 12 tribes that have been scattered that he has pastoral oversight over. He says to them, in the midst of all of their fears, listen to the words of verse 2, and this is what we're going to focus on. Our time today, just verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various diverse manifold trials. Now, in saying this, James isn't telling us to deny the pain or the anguish that's caused by the trials of life. That anguish and that pain is very real. He's not telling us to deny the sufferings that we go through when we go through hard times. But James is saying that in amidst the suffering, in amidst of the changes, in amidst of the varying seasons that we find hard, James is saying that we can access a joy that will give us strength. We can access the joy of the Lord in amidst of all of the changes that we see happening, happening around us. And James is very particular about the words that he uses. And they're very helpful for us to understand because they describe a very graphic picture that takes place when we go through trials. And James is very particular as he uses each word carefully. And as we look at this verse we're going to see four things and these four things are important for us to remember when we go through trials in our lives it's good for us to remember these aspects these four areas because we will get our eyes off the circumstance and we will place them on God let me just give you four aspects that are really important four areas that are really Crucial for us to remember when we are going through a difficult time, when we're going through a trial or a season of testing. Firstly, it's important to remember that God has a purpose for every trial that we face. God has a purpose for every trial that we face. Secondly, the trials that come in our lives come not to break us, but to make us. Trials aren't there to break you. Trials are there to make you. And it's important for us to understand that because sometimes they're very difficult to negotiate. They're very difficult to go through. Thirdly, trials have a transformational effect on our character. Guess what? When you go through a hard time, you don't come out of that hard time the same way that you went into it. Transformation takes place and sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes that's very difficult to experience. But do you know what? In the long run, over time, with hindsight, you see that that transformation that could only come through a trial is for your benefit, is for your good. Trans trials are transformational. They have a transformational effect on our characters. And then fourthly and finally, we see that Trials come not to punish us, 
but to prepare us for greater things. Now we're going to look at these four aspects this morning. And we're going to look at James chapter 1 verse 2, just that first verse. And we're going to see some wonderful things, some enriching things through the difficulties that we face and the difficulties that we go through. Do you know David said this on one occasion in the Psalms. He said, Lord, through adversity you enlarged me. Enlargement comes, enlargement of life very often only comes through adverse circumstances. They're not there to deplete you. They're not there to diminish you. No, God allows adversity to come into our lives to enlarge us, to make us bigger, to make the work of his hand in our life greater. And David, as he looked back on the adverse circumstances of his life, he saw how God used those adverse circumstances to enlarge his life. Maybe in that adversity he didn't see it as an enlarging process. Maybe he saw that adversity as painful. He saw that adversity taking things away that he wanted to hold on to. But in hindsight, as he looked back, he said, no, that adversity actually rewarded me. That adversity was a blessing. That adversity, that trial that came my way was not something to avoid, but something to embrace. Imagine that. Just imagine if we began to see the trials and the troubles and the adversities of life as something to, not, 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 not something to avoid, but something to embrace. A trial, a blessing to embrace, not something to avoid. And James is trying to get this perspective over to us in his letter, in his writing. I tell you, the adversity that you've gone through, the adversity and the pain that you've, that you've suffered will enlarge you. And it may not feel like that today, but I tell you now, your faith your faith has brought you thus far. Your faith in God, your trust, your dependence on him has brought you thus far and it will keep you going in the way that God wants you to go. So let's look at these four aspects as we move through this verse today just to encourage ourselves. Firstly, it's important for us to remember that God has a purpose for every trial that we face. It's important to remember that because we go through tough times as people. We go through situations that we can't explain. We go through seasons and they get a hold of us. And sometimes, you know, you, felt, you feel like circumstance grabs you by the scruff of the neck and pulls you about the room or you, you feel as if it's got you in a chokehold. And you think, my God, God can't have a purpose in this. God can't have a plan. No, God's not designed it. God has not authored the trials and the temptations sometimes that we undergo. God's not the author of that. Later on in his, in his letter, James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from Above, from the Father of lights, God gives us good and perfect gifts. God doesn't author, author the sufferings and the trials and the adversities that we face. 
He's the author of good things, but he uses those trials. He uses those adversities. He uses those things that seem so contrary to his will, contrary to his purpose, because he wants to conform us into the wonderful image of Jesus. And James, James sees this. He sees God's people scattered. He sees God's people manhandled, managed by circumstance. He sees God's people held by the scruff of the neck, held in a chokehold by circumstance. But he wants to give them the true perspective about truth, the true perspective about God's word in relation to the trials that they are suffering. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into various diverse manifold trials. Now James is not ignoring our feelings. He's not ignoring our emotions, the emotions that rise within our hearts when he declares this. But he's, he's telling us to focus on the true, the true meaning of every trial. He's, he's encouraging us to come to a conclusion. He's, he's telling us to use God's word to interpret, to use God's word as the lens for the circumstances and the trials that we are undergoing. And he, because he's saying that there's an outcome. He's saying that God has an end in mind in relation to what we're facing and what we are going through. You see, when things don't go our way and conflicts come, you, like I, know the feelings and the emotions that are immediately evoked. You know the feelings and the emotions that run high. And very often, you know, when we go into a circumstance or a crisis or a situation that suddenly stands up in our life and shocks us and surprises us as it arrives unannounced, very often we can become blinded by our senses. We can become blinded by overriding emotions of panic and worry and fear and anxiety. But James is instructing us to put those emotions and those feelings aside. When he uses this word count in verse 2, count or consider, he's telling us to collect all the evidence, to do the maths, to bring all of the numbers together and to arrive at a conclusion, to arrive at an answer about all of the facts that we have collected. Consider, he says. Count. It's a mathematical term that he's using. He's saying, don't just examine what you're going through on the basis of how you feel. Don't examine what you're going through on the basis of the senses that you have. No, evaluate what you're going through as you consider God's word, God's plan, God's will, God's way in the midst of this crisis that you are facing. 
Because for every trial you face, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God's plan doesn't go on hold. When circumstance and contrary messages are communicated to us, God doesn't just back off. No, God's plan continues on for our lives. And James is saying, you've got to count that. You've got to consider that. You've got to evaluate that. Because then when you truly do begin to understand that God has a bigger plan for this trial, a bigger plan for this circumstance than you can ever imagine, you'll arrive at a wonderful place of joy and you'll say, let this circumstance do all it can do. Let this trial that I'm going through do all it can do in my life because by the end of it, I'm going to arrive at a better place. That's what James is encouraging us to do. He's saying, arrive at the right conclusion about the trial that you're in. Don't just be blinded by emotion. Just don't be blinded by your senses, but be enabled by God's word and God's promise to interpret the circumstance and the, the trial that you're going through correctly. Evaluate it correctly. Now, secondly, once we understand that God has a purpose for every trial that we go through, that his, that his plan for our life is not interrupted, even though the trials and the circumstances of life seem so contrary to what we believe, next, we must understand that not only does God have a purpose and a plan in the trials in which we face we have to understand, secondly, that the trials of life come to make us and not break us. The trials, the circumstances of our lives, even the failings of our life, the things that, that, that we, we're ashamed of, the things that we wish we had never said, the things that we wish we had never done. The Bible assures us that even those things are there to make us and not break us. God uses all things about our life to go into the, into the great picture, the great design of his plan for us. Now, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, for us to understand that and accept that because trials are so severe and they make us feel as if we're being broken apart. They certainly don't make us feel that, you know, we're being made by them, that we're being perfected, that we are being completed. No trials come into our life and they manhandle us. And sometimes, you know, you feel as if you're getting slapped up the side of the head. Sometimes you feel as if you're getting beat into a corner. Sometimes you feel as if that trial has got you pinned down onto the floor. It's on top of you and it's not going to let go. You feel as if you're being manhandled, not made. You feel as if you're being broken apart, not added to. But, but in, you know, in the overall message that James gives to us, he shows us, no, life's trials are not there to break us. Life's trials are there to make us. They're there to make us, not to break us. Listen, child of God, it's important for us to always understand that it is impossible for anything ultimately 
to not work for you. It's impossible for anything ultimately to work against the child of God when God is working for you. We understand this, don't we, from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Those words were spoken by the Apostle Paul. And he was a man that understood and experienced tremendous pressure. Adverse things happening to him on all sides, on all fronts. I mean, there's a guy that, that had a huge history of trials and troubles besetting him and trying to take him out from every angle. And yet he spoke these words just like James spoke his words so confidently. He said, we know that all things work together for good. And it may seem as if you have some things in your life that seem so unworkable. Aspects of your life that not only seem unworkable, but seem out of control. But God is amazing. He can take those unworkable things and make them work. He can take those, those, those things that seem so out of control and place them under his controlling hand and he can shape them, he can fashion them, he can form them to make it all good. Even those isolated ingredients of our lives that seem so sour and so spoiled and, and so bitter and, you know, very often we hold those ingredients in our hands and we isolate them from the mix of our lives. And we think, how can God ever use such a bitter experience? How can God ever use such a sour season in my life? Well, he's the God that takes all ingredients up into himself and using his sovereign hand, his sovereign power and his sovereign will. He's the God that mixes it all together for good. And by the end of it all, you have a splendid, glorious picture, a life picture, his workmanship. I tell you now, there's not an ingredient in your life that God will not take up and add to the grand mix of his plan for you and for I and turn it into a glorious picture. He's amazing. He's wonderful. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 1 says that he works all things together after the counsel of his own will. There is no thing that can stand outside of his plan in your life. There is no thing in your life, whether past or present or future, that will ever be able to stand up and say, do you know what? This thing can't be controlled. This aspect, this area of my life will not come under or submit to, to God's sovereign power. No, Paul says he works all things together after the counsel of his will. Everything about your life, good, bad and ugly, will be taken up by God and crafted and formed and molded to make something good and something glorious. I think it's absolutely amazing and James, like Paul, sees this, that no ingredient of our life is isolated from the mix. No ingredient, no aspect, no area of our life 
is out of bounds for God to use. He will take it, he will use it, and your life will be everything he has destined it for. That's why we can have great faith for a great future. That's why, that we, that's why we never, ever have to fear the future. Why? Because God is working all things together after the counsel of his own will. And nothing goes on hold. Nothing is interrupted in his purpose for our lives. Listen, when the devil tells you that you're not going to come through, because you've caused the circumstance, you've caused the trial, you've caused the crisis. Oh, hold up the ace card in his face. Romans 8, 28. Hold it up in his, uh, up in his face. And I tell you, declare it from the roof, rooftops. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God and who are called, it, who are called according to his purpose. Do you know when thinking about this, I was just reminded of that amazing account in Genesis 1 when God created the universe. You know, the earth, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that the earth was formless and void. It was a mass of chaos. It had no order. It had no symmetry. It had no beauty. It was dark. It was chaotic. And it was barren. But in Genesis 1, when the Holy Spirit started to brood over that chaotic mass and God spoke his word, Genesis 1, there's a re repeating phrase at the end of each day when God created, when God got involved in that chaotic mass, when God got involved in, in the barrenness, the emptiness, the voidness and the darkness of our planet. When God got involved, there's a beautiful phrase at the end of each day in Genesis 1 and it says this, and the Lord saw that what he did was good. God examined his own work. God brought his own work under the scrutiny of his own judgment. And he saw at the end of each day that his handiwork was splendid. His handiwork was beautiful. His handiwork had changed the barrenness, the chaos, the darkness, the emptiness into something glorious. Well, it's the same it's the same picture in Romans 8, 28 that Paul sees. He sees our lives outside of Christ in Romans 7 and in other chapters in Romans. He sees that we are dead in our sin. He sees that, that our lives are just like that chaotic, dark mass that God began with in Genesis 1. But then in Romans 8.28, he sees all things working together for good as God comes into the dark, chaotic mass of our lives, as God comes in to the dark, chaotic mass of our circumstances and trials. And he starts to work it, and he starts to make it, and he starts to beautify it, and he says... All of it works together for good because we love God and he's involved in our lives. Let me read it to you. Romans 8, 26. I'm going to go from 26 through to verse 28. It says this, Likewise, 
The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then this beautiful verse, it says, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In verse 27, we see an incredible insight into Jesus' intercession for our lives as the Spirit searches our hearts, as the Spirit searches the needs and the aches and the pains of our soul. As we go through circumstance, Jesus picks up on that searching, that searching voice of the Holy Spirit, that searching presence. And he picks up and he begins to intercede for us according to the will of God. And God works all things together for good after that intercession that's made by Jesus. It's wonderful. Maybe take some time this week to read Romans 8, 26 to 28. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful message to us. Now, thirdly, once we've realized that God has a plan and a purpose for every trial that we face in life, and then when we go and understand that trials are there not to break us, but to make us, we also need to understand that trials have a transformational effect on our characters. When you go through a problem, when I go through problems, you know, you don't come out of those trials and those tests the same way that you went in. They truly do have a transformational effect on our lives. You know, there's lots of messages in relation to our lives in God's Word. There's lots of pictures and images that are used in the Word of God that are there to encourage us. For instance, God's Word talks about standing. Paul says it, when you stand, having done all to stand, remain standing. It's a posture of strength. It's a position of, of undaunted confidence as you face the future. Remain standing, Paul says. And Paul also talks about walking. Walking. We walk a walk of faith. And there's other images and pictures that the biblical writers use. Messengers sent from God to encourage the people of God. Isaiah says this and he paints a beautiful picture. He says that we can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not grow faint. We can rise up with wings as of eagles. These are beautiful images, beautiful pictures, beautiful postures of the Christian life. And these are all wonderful aspects of our lives as they unfold in our Christian walk. But James talks about falling. Falling, he says. Count it all joy when you fall 
into various trials, into tests and temptations of every kind. James doesn't talk about standing. He doesn't talk about walking or running or soaring or standing. No, James talks about falling headlong into a trial. And sometimes that's what life is just like for all of us. You know, we just fall headlong. We trip up over ourselves. And sometimes we get into a mess. And we're surprised and shocked by life. And we, we find it difficult to pull ourselves up off the ground. James talks about this. Talks about falling. And very often, you know, when you fall and when, when a trial comes into your life, it doesn't ask for your permission. Doesn't knock on the door and say, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you at this time. I'm going to meet you at this place. And this is the date that I'm going to come on. So you better get prepared. You better strengthen these areas. No, trials just suddenly arrive. They suddenly surprise us. And whether we're ready or not, they're going to face up to us. And they're going to test us. And we just have to go through. And we just have to trust God. And we just have to depend on Him. And that's one of the advantages of a trial. You know, there's many, many wonderful aspects that are valuable within trials when we go through them. But one of the things that I've found when I've gone through a test in time, when I've gone through a trial, is that it makes me very dependent on God. You know, sometimes it's easy to walk independent of God in life. It's easy when things are going well, you know. Well, you know, just to forget about God a little bit and things are going well and I'm just really busy and I've got lots of things to do and God's still there, you still love him, but maybe he's second or third. But you know, when you go head to head with a trial, God becomes number one and really, you know, he needs to be number one all the time. But trials have a way of making us very, very dependent on the Lord. And the Greek word that James uses for various trials, he says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. This word various in the original Greek language means multicolored. Trials are multicolored. That's what James uh, pictures and that's what James portrays to us when he gives us this word. He says they're multicolored, they're various, they're manifold. They've got many, many different shades of color as they come into our lives. You know, when you think back to Joseph in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter, 30, in Genesis chapter 37, he received a multicolored coat given to him by his father, Jacob. Genesis 37 verse 3 says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic, a coat of many colors. James talks about trials as having many varied colors. Joseph was given a coat by his father Jacob. It had many 
colors. It drew the attention of all to him. Little did Joseph realize at 17 years of age that that coat of many colors was prophetic and indicative of his nature, of, of the trials that he was going to undergo. The trials that that young man would face for 13 long years. His coat was prophetic. It carried many colors and the life trials that Joseph went through for many years were there, were on him, were, he went through them. And that coat was a prophetic sign, a prophetic message. And he didn't have it on his back long before his brothers took it off him. But that coat became the symbol of his life, a message, a pointer for his life's journey as he went forward into what God had for him. But those trials weren't there to break Joseph. Those trials were there to make him. And make him they did. And they weren't just a series of random events. They were interconnected. Now Joseph may not have realized that when he was going through the trials that he went through. He probably didn't piece it together. He probably didn't understand that all of these trials were interconnected. The many colors, the varying colors, the extremes of all of the pressure and circumstances that he faced. Probably it was impossible for him to ever understand that they were all working to make him and not break him. Many times we think we're being broken because these trials are so diverse and different. And they come in all of their colors and they come in all of their different ways. Many times we think we're being broken apart. No, trials are not there. We've got to remember that. Trials are not there. Encourage yourself today, child of God. Trials are not there to break us, but to make us. Count it all joy, he says, when you fall into manifold trials, varying trials with many different colors. Now Peter uses this word manifold to express the grace of God. James uses it to, to describe the trials that we fall into. But Peter, Peter uses it to describe the grace of God. Listen to what Peter says about the grace of God and its and the multicolored character of God's grace in our lives as he writes to the church in, in his first letter, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Listen to what he says. Uh, verse 10, sorry. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God or the varying grace of God. That word manifold, varying, diverse, they're all the same Greek word. It means multicolored. Peter is talking to the same group of people, the scattered, the, the, the disenfranchised, those that have, had been dispersed across the nations. He's writing his letter to that same group of people that James 
James was writing to. Peter in his letter talks about fiery trials and sufferings that we undergo. But now he talks about the manifold grace of God. The manifold beautiful color of God's grace to meet every trial. You see, for every shade and every color, colorful trial, there is a matching color. I believe it. There's a matching color that's more than adequate from the grace of God for every trial that we face. And then finally, as we close today, let me make this point to you. Trials don't come to us to punish us but to prepare us for greater things God doesn't allow trials to come into our lives to punish us James talks about this trials are not there to punish us trials are there to prepare us for greater things to receive greater things from God and for our lives to be enriched by God James talks about trials actually producing. When our faith is tested, this work of testing has wonderful produce for our lives. Our our patience is perfected. We, We endure. And all of these character qualities are gained in our lives as we serve Jesus and as we go forward in our faith. Trials are not there. To punish us. Trials come. Trials are allowed. To perfect us. And to prepare us. For greater things. Now as I close today. Why don't you today. Or over this next week. Read James chapter 1. Just the verses that we've been looking at. From verse 1 through to verse 8. And we're going to pick up next week around this same portion of scripture and then we're going to look at other portions of scripture as to how this this word relates and the encouragements that we can receive from men and women of God who have gone through tremendous trials in every test remember there's a wonderful testimony being worked out in your life in every trial In every difficulty, there is a wonderful, wonderful truth that you are going to gain, that you're going to be enriched by. Your life, your life, it may not feel nice, but your life will be enriched by the blessings of God as we go through difficult times. Trials, we've said, have a purpose in our lives. God, God's purpose in our lives is not hindered is not interrupted when we go through trials no God's purpose continues on irrespective of what we face his plan never stops for us also it's important for us to remember that trials are not there to break us but to make us And also we said that trials have a transformational effect on our characters. Listen, the way that you come out of a testing time is not the way that you went into it. You've been transformed. An aspect of your life has been perfected and worked on for the better. 
And then finally we said, listen, it's important to forget, never to forget that these trials and these difficulties that we face are not there to punish us, but there to prepare us and perfect us for greater, greater things. That's the beginning message that we find the encouraging word that we have from this wonderful letter that James wrote to a church that had been scattered, to a church that had been persecuted, to believers, hundreds of thousands of them that were dispersed right across the nations. But James, listen, wasn't retreating, backing off or backing down. He was coming out just as strong. Listen, the testing of your faith, church, will produce. It doesn't matter what circumstance you go through or crisis your faith, crisis you face. The testing of your faith will produce great things in the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Let me pray for you today. Listen, you may be listening today and um, you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. Oh, Jesus loves you so much. He wants to be your savior and to ask him into your heart, you simply have to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Call on the name of the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on his name and you will be saved. He wants you to experience his saving power. You say, Dave, listen, I'm not really proud of my life. I've done things in my life that I'm ashamed of. Dave, you know, my history is, is just like a, a row of bombed houses. There's, there's dereliction behind me. And it seems as if every choice that I make is a wrong one. Listen, we're all in that same boat, my friend. Without a savior, without a Lord Jesus, we're all really in a, in a, in a big mess. But that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus wants to enter your heart and your life right now. Pray this prayer with me. It'll just help you. And uh, you'll open your heart to Jesus and you will experience a miracle today. Why don't we just pray this together right now? Quietly in your heart say, Jesus, I ask you today to be my savior, to be my Lord. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again from the dead, and that you want to live in my heart right now. I ask you from this day forward that I would know you as Savior and Lord of my life. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you let us know? Why don't you send us an email? on hello at kingschurch.org.uk. Send us a little message. We would love to give you your first Bible, give you some information about the church and a little booklet that we've produced by the church family that, that have written testimonies that really testify of God's work in their lives. We would love to get one of those to you. And uh, we just want to be a blessing to you. Church, I trust that you've been blessed by God's word today. Listen, stay in prayer. Stay in the word of God. Stay connected with, with fellow believers. Encourage one another. And never forget, listen, the church is never 
defined by the four walls of a building. We thank God for it, but the church of Jesus Christ goes on. It's being built. It cannot be defeated. And his program for, for the church and for this world is undaunted by any crisis or any seasonal change. God bless you. Have a great week. And listen, stay strong in faith for a great future. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have any prayer requests, would like to share a testimony, or would like to give online, why not head over to our website, kings-church.org.uk. If you prayed the prayer of salvation today and would like us to contact you to help you with your next steps, please click on the Choose Jesus button of our website. Remember, you can stay connected at this time by staying in touch with your Connect and team leaders. If you are part of King's Church and are not yet connected, scroll down to our Connect Online section and we will be sure to get in touch. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to meeting with you again very soon.